Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Matters Educational Podcast. This episode features Dara Lambert, a newly qualified secondary school science teacher. Dara spoke about his experience with the Professional Master of Education, or PME, course in Maynooth University. He also discussed the value of reflection, team teaching and a number of other items. Hi Dara, how are you? Not so bad. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Not at all, my pleasure. So, I'll start off with this one. Why did you become a teacher? Um, it's a tough one really. I wanted to do science in college, um, so I ended up doing agricultural science. Um, and I loved it, I really enjoyed it. Um, went into the real world after I graduated and didn't really like the job I was doing. Um, it wasn't really for me. So then I kind of took a, I kind of had an eye on teaching then. And then I worked in an adventure centre. So I was an outdoor um, high ropes rescuer. Um, sounds fancy. <laughs> and uh, I was giving instructions to, to adults and kids about how to use the course, and how to use the safety equipment. Um, and by that stage, I kind of said, look, teaching is maybe the way to go because I enjoyed working with people. Mm. And I had this science degree that I wanted to use. So it just seemed like the logical next step. But I was never like, a, never a calling to be a teacher. No, never. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't some inner passion to be a teacher it, just it wasn't what you always wanted to do no. it's more like something that you discovered over time it's that you next, wanted to do next step like it seemed like the next logical thing I tried a few things teaching was the next thing I was going to try and that was really it like yeah and uh, prior to enrolling on your PME professional master of education course had you any teaching experience in schools observation or sub- substitute uh, sure work I did, I did um, two weeks community care and TY in the primary school that was it but no, no, no teaching experience at all. Okay, so I just mentioned the PME there. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your PME experience? Yeah, I had a really good PME experience. I actually really loved the course. Um, I think because I was a, I kind of had, I think you said in the last episode, I was kind of a study, study bug, like I had, I kind of yeah. missed learning. So when I arrived into the course, I kind of liked being back in college. I was two years out by that stage. Um, and I was completely honest. There was nothing, do you know, when you go to do science or you go to do anything like that in college, you've already done science in school. So yeah. it was kind of like an, an add-on. So everything I learned was something I'd never experienced before. Obviously, being a pupil, you have some sort of experience what education is like, yeah. but it's completely different when you're a teacher. When you're on the other side of so, the classroom. So that like that kind of aspect of it, I, I just loved. Um, I had lectures in like pedagogy, which I just, to this day, are still my favourite lectures. I couldn't wait for Tuesday mornings. Right. 10 o'clock um, and each week I'd learn something that I never knew existed you know, kind of like I went from yeah. complete novice to having some sort of realisation what was what this kind of skill was like for me when okay. I was a pupil so yeah no, it, was, it was class I loved it excellent so you enjoyed every element of it or was there anything that was difficult about the course that you weren't so crazy about um, no I enjoyed most of it like 90% of it I'd say um I think as student teachers, it's kind of, how do I say, if some of the stuff you're learning, you don't feel like you should be learning. Such as? Such as, I know loads of people didn't like doing history of education or the philosophy of education or all that kind of stuff. And 
and I can understand that you need to do it but at the time a lot of us felt I mean it's not important um, so and there was a huge part of the courses on that but it's actually fine looking back at it now I think it was really important to study that kind of stuff you can understand its value now 100% yeah it kind of defines you as a teacher and what you kind of stand for and why you adopt the practices you do that completely underpins everything you do absolutely you need to know where education was and yeah, to, especially, to, to, to inform you of where it's going especially the history yeah no and that's for my assignment on that I did on the history of science education and looking back at how they wanted to teach science back in you know, the 30s and 40s and why it changed in the 70s and obviously what we're going through now so I think yeah that kind of aspect it didn't seem important at the time but looking back now it was really important and I loved I loved yeah I really enjoyed looking at those aspects. Okay. So other than having a favourite module in the course, was there anything in particular about the experience of the course that was very rewarding for you, such as an experience on school placement or perhaps the, the, the staff or the people? Yeah, no, the um, staff are amazing. I couldn't speak any more early than I already think they are. They're just, they're really good, really supportive. And what university were, were you I did it in Minute, okay. Minute University. Um, got on really well there with those. Um, the course itself, the thing that I like the most, is it? Or? Yeah, and it doesn't have to be like uh, specific to a module that you liked the best. It could be any anything about the course. What the course. was the most rewarding part of the course for you? Ironically, I didn't. I preferred going to college than doing the placement, especially in first year. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. My placement was Mondays and Fridays teaching, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in college. Um, and I preferred the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, which is kind of odd when you're trying to be a teacher but like I said I just love learning about how to teach um, mm. so in Minute um, when I did it's all changed now we went teaching straight away I was almost teaching before I went to college which was kind of uh, odd but um, I, I really like the college aspect like I said just learning like things like questioning I remember going in Tuesday morning and getting a lecture on how to question and it was a good question <laughs> and I was thinking I never even considered that an important aspect of teaching a lot of people would take that for granted before entering into a, a teaching course that they'd actually have to learn about how to ask appropriate questions and the right sort of questions. 100%. And even this thing about follow-up questions. Like, you think you've mastered how to ask a good question. And then 10 minutes later, they say, really, your question should be structured. That you ask one kid a question, and then you ask the next kid to add on to that question. And it's just really, and I, loved, I loved that aspect of it. Hmm. Things like AFL. I remember doing a week on that. And the thing that was really enjoyable about it was you go in... Monday you teach, Tuesday you go to college and you learn a new thing like questioning, say. And then when you go to Friday, you use what you learned on Tuesday. It's fresh in your mind. Still. Yeah, and it's just like, right, I'm going to try question this week. And then next week you do something on differentiation. You're like, right, I'm going to add that to my lesson. So can you gradually improve as the weeks went by? Um, it was, I just found it a really exciting time to learn all that kind of stuff. And you mentioned that uh, you were out teaching as part of your placement early on in the course. Do you think that was... Uh, do you think that was the right way about it, or do you think it should have been left until later on in the course when you had a bit of grounding, a bit of foundation in I'm the theory? Not, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, it's Looking good, back now, it's good say. to see how schools start the year. Mm. Like, what they have staff meetings at the start, what they decide, what policies are brought in, how they're going to approach a year. Like, And you're sitting there taking all this in. But at the same time, like I was observing teachers teach without really knowing what was going on because I hadn't even started college yet. Yeah. So it was about a month of being in a school. Now again, for the start, it was only Mondays and Fridays, two days a week for a minute. Um, but it was, like, it's hard It's hard to say. 
I prefer obviously to, to go into a school with some sort of foundation and knowledge. But then again, it was good to see how schools operate from the start and their um, how they plan for the year, which yeah. is, you wouldn't... That was valuable knowledge that you wouldn't necessarily be able to get from, from university. 100%. You have to see it yourself firsthand. And plus, there's all new staff in schools. And of course, the new staff are just like you as a student teacher. Like, they don't know anyone there. So you kind of integrate a lot quicker. Yeah. So no, it is beneficial, but it's just so difficult then when you're observing your teaching and you literally just learned how to do it a week before. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, no, it's it's tough. And some some colleges do it differently. They literally go on block placement. They might arrive in November or something and do it till till January. Um, but we did it from the very start. Okay. One of the most common criticisms of the PME course for both primary and secondary school teaching that I have noticed uh, online is uh, the cost of the course. It can range from roughly t- between ten thousand euro to twelve and a half thousand euro. Uh, do you think that it was the course itself was worth the money and would the cost deter some applicants from applying? Yeah, I think the cost definitely um, puts people off. Um, I was really lucky because I had done a year out before I decided to be teaching and then I went to apply and I realised I missed the deadline. So I said, grand, I can work in this adventure centre hmm. and work my way up to like a system manager, get more experience, that I had time to save this money. Yeah. But I still lived at home and I still live rent-free. Like the only reason I could save that amount of money and that amount of money only got me to a year and a half in only for the random bits of something I did that's the only way I paid it off and I paid it off just I think it was last July so even when I finished the course I was still paying it off like mm-hmm. I was lucky like I just think of people who want to quit teaching but didn't have the same financial or family kind of support right. that I had that would definitely put you off is it worth it? I'm not sure. Like, how much was it before with HDIP? Like, that's, I'm not sure what well, we compared. When I did my primary teaching HDIP in Merino, it was roughly seven and a half thousand euro, but that was an 18 month 18 course. Months, yeah. So it roughly works out for the time you're spending there. It, it's, it's the same. So it's just another, I suppose, half a year onto it. Yeah. Up to the 10 grand. But the only thing is, with the two years, regardless of the money, is that's a year, another year where you're not earning. Yeah. And it's full time. Like, you're doing assignments. Like I said, it was, Mondays and Fridays teaching in first year and then the other three days in college and then for second year it was teaching Monday to Wednesday in college Thursday Friday so it's it's a full-time course and with the assignments and planning lessons which I think people who sign up to be to be a teacher don't realize the amount of time because of the planning holding down a job for an extra year as opposed to just doing it for 18 months or a year yeah. is a lot tougher than people think um, so I think they're not making it easy to be a teacher which is kind of disappointing do you think though that the two years is a, is a bit extreme should they revert for a secondary to what was a one year HDIP and maybe primary to the year and a half HDIP again it's hard to say when, when you've done the two year course I mean, compared to a one when I look at the teacher I am now compared to the teacher I was at the end of first year hmm. um, I'm completely different so of course it has value you can't say it doesn't have value having the extra year um, there are times during the second year where I thought this seems kind of pointless. I feel like I, I understand how teaching works. Um, I feel like I'm ready, but you're still learning. So it's hard, it's hard to say if it's worth it or not. The stuff we did in second year was more doing our thesis, um, doing more reflections, very little pedagogy, which I would have liked to have done more of mm-hmm. to kind of improve that aspect. Were there fewer lectures yeah. in the second year? Yeah, like it's just Thursdays and Fridays. And then by the end of 
the end of it. There's very little lectures because Thursdays and Fridays when you're doing your thesis. Because I think that's where a lot of the main criticism is focused on in the second year because you're not in college as much. You're still mm. paying the, the full back for the year, the, at 100%. least 5,000 euros. So I think that's something for, for, Just for, the, for the initial teacher education centres to ponder. And like a lot of master courses are like three semesters, they do something over summer. Personally, I'd almost prefer that if I could just get it out of the way, do the thesis over the summer, and wrap it up. Do you know what I mean? By the end of August, and your teacher then September. Exactly. I think that can be done. But the, the experience of two schools definitely helps, one hundred percent. And you can never, you can never argue that it's not helpful to see a staff room in one type of school and a staff room in the other. You learn so much like that. So that's the only positive aspect of it. I think. Well, I can tell from listening to you that you do enjoy teaching. Uh, but a, a question that I wanted to ask you was, do you have a horror story specifically for maybe school placement or even post-qualification? Have you a horror story that you'd like to discuss? Um, I've actually been really fortunate not to have too many kind of <laughs> horror stories. Or has anything ever gone wrong? Oh, no. when, when really, anything, really yeah, wrong? When has anything ever gone right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I've had a few, it's the uh, observations or inspections now, they're the ones that they just can go wrong. I remember being having an inspection once, and I, I mean, I was I had it all prepared. She arrived. I didn't know she was going to arrive. She arrived anyway, and I was doing an experiment, and the, the kids was I just didn't couldn't not control them, but I mean, they just went. The lesson went off completely, and water was being thrown, and bags got wet, and and I'm trying. You're trying to remain calm. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And your instinct is to obviously raise your voice and try to find some sort of control yes. over the class. It just didn't happen. And the bell went and all the students left for lunch. And uh, my inspector just said to me, I can see you're, you're livid, like you're really angry. Because I just, I couldn't, like I didn't, I didn't raise my voice. But it, it, there are the moments, I think, that I've experienced so far where I've planned, I've planned, I've planned for an observation or inspection. And then on the day, it just goes completely wrong. And it just, it, it, breaks it really does i suppose it doesn't matter how well prepared a teacher is what you can't really factor into your plans is the unpredictable human element if you have a class full of 20 odd teenagers in, in your case as a yeah. secondary teacher that's something that you can't take account of when you're right when you're putting your plans together or mm. when, you're, when you're thinking about how the class is supposed to go and i suppose as well when there's another adult in the room assessing you you do change at least i found that when i was doing my teaching practice in, in college and my subsequent probation, that when there was somebody there assessing me as a teacher, I was a completely different person. I was a completely different teacher yeah. because I'm very conscious of having another adult in the room. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'd, like to, I'd like to say, though, that I'm not different for an inspection. But I just, I think that in that case, because that was my first year teaching, um, I put all my eggs in one basket. There was no plan B. Yeah. And... It really like showed when things didn't go right, and I think I gained something from that. But yeah. I still think back when I see the other P and Bs in the staff room and our lessons didn't go well. I, I just think back to that time where that inspection <laughs> was a complete disaster. But then again, I learned a lot from it. Like the the talk I had after my inspection, well, and she she just said, "Look, this is why you went off track," and she was completely right. Mm. So, so sometimes it might be better if you do have these horror moments. Yeah. But I've been, like I said, I've been very lucky in terms of everything else. Really, it's just that one or that one time in my it was block placement. Three weeks were just a nightmare for me. I hated it. <laughs> well, this uh, leads us nicely into my next question. 
I want to ask you about reflection because you're talking there. We're talking there about looking back and seeing what went wrong and was it a value, valuable experience? Uh, what uh, value then? Do you, I, I can tell that you do value reflection, but how big of an element is reflection in your teaching? So what value do you place on it? And do you, do you think teachers do enough of it? Um, I think we do do enough of it, 100%. Um, I hated reflecting on part of my lesson plan in the first year. Every lesson did have a reflection written afterwards. I nearly pull my hair out just trying to do them. Did you understand the value of it back then? No. Or was it explained to the student teachers the value of reflection? It was explained to us, but it's not It's not something we, we took in. And I don't think... You couldn't buy into it? No. And I still don't believe in reflecting after each lesson. I, mm-hmm. For as a student teacher now, it was just too much work. Like sometimes a lesson, you go in, you teach X, Y, and Z, and it all happened, and it went as you expected. There was nothing really to reflect there. Yeah. Um, and I think that kind of aspect where you're kind of forced to reflect. Yes. Takes away the element of how good it actually is for your practice. So when you're reflecting on somebody else's terms, there's no real value to it. Is, is that what you're saying? Just, just if you're if you're made to do it regularly, made to do it regularly, yes. it's there's a problem. Um, and then for my second year, I I started writing blogs. Um, as part of my reflections and I promised myself because I was setting up a podcast I was setting up loads of different things and I promised myself I'd only blog when I had a key learning moment I called it and that was it and I only like for my second year then I had reflections written maybe one or two per month and that was it like and there were only moments when I thought to myself wait a second I've learned something here and I write about it I think they're the reflections we should value yeah you can't you can't force reflections and we do and we do reflect as teachers we all go into the staff room we sit down and you say just have a terrible lesson i planned this i spent all night cutting these shapes that they're going to do some assignment on and it just didn't work like that is i'd still consider that reflecting or even telling a a colleague like wait you try that does it work brilliant i'll try that I, i consider that all that reflecting and i think we do do that a lot of us but in terms of sitting down reflecting I just don't think we have the time, really, to yeah. do that. It's more about sharing with each other. Well, as you said, when we're made to reflect, it, and I, as I said, it's a, that's on somebody else's terms. It's mm. a very artificial uh, method of reflection. And as you said, you reflect when it's necessary or when you have a key learning moment. Mm-hmm. So, I, And I think you're right. And as a primary school teacher, we'd be the same. We, if we have something that went wrong, we'd probably go to the staff room venting about it. But we're, we, we really are reflecting about it, going back and forth. I was going to ask you next... Do teachers have enough opportunities to access or to participate in worthwhile educational research? And the reason I'm asking you this is because it is, I suppose, an academic profession, but it's also a practice. And the practice is supposed to be based, or at least it should be based, uh, on evidence. But as primary and secondary school teachers, we're not linked up with universities through our practice. So through my own employment anyway, I don't see any opportunities to uh, participate research what, what, what would you say about that do you would you have enough opportunities or would you like more opportunities um, to take it, part in educational it, research I'd, I'd love to I'd love to take part in more research um, it's hard to access it hmm. um, like when you do Monday to Friday you're just for me anyway like it's my first year out I'm still surviving like we look at that kind of during your drift meeting they put up a graph of your survival curve during the year or whatever like at this stage I don't even think about engaging in research because I just want to get to Friday 
and make sure that all the lessons went as well as I planned them to go. Yeah. Um, but like long term, when there's all my resources set and I'm more comfortable being it like living the life of a teacher, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'd love to engage at research. So when you're kind of settled into your role as a teacher. Yeah, 100%. But for things like Twitter um, and your personal interests, like I consider that research as well. Absolutely. I'd be scrolling by and I'd see some blog about, I don't know. Could be like, and it could be anything. There's yeah. someone, and like, there's obviously research where it's all evidence based, but there's also upskilling yourself. Yes. Where you just see a blog and a guy comments about how he does things in his classroom. And it might be to do with junior inference in a class in Australia. And like, I consider that important. And I think that's the aspect of, 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 upskilling or maybe that we can do more of again Twitter's not for everyone but um but yeah I think that that kind of aspect of upskilling is the way I'd go but finding like being pretty comparing evidence it's, it's kind of time consuming for me you know I just right now I just have no interest in taking part or reading up on research and applying it to my classroom it's just at the year plus I just came out from writing a 10,000 word thesis like I'm just <laughs> I'm kind of sick looking at references now at this stage. Okay, uh, you mentioned Twitter there. Um, that was interesting because a lot of the reading that I do, or a lot of the education authors that I'd be that I would have been introduced to, I found them through Twitter. Mm. Um, I find it very, very useful uh, for teachers to, to get involved with Twitter. You said it's not for everyone, and I agree. Um, well, it is for me. Not people don't have time or wouldn't have the interest outside of the working hours to go on to it. But I do think it is important. Uh, I was introduced to the likes of Tom Bennett and David Didow and then the learning scientists uh, who have a podcast as well. Uh, and I think that's changed the way I teach. So I, I, and as you said, that all counts as some form of educational research when you're listening to people talk about their practice, 100%. what's worked. And it's, not, it's more than anecdotes. It's people based it on continued experiences. I think it's very useful. I was at the science... Um, Irish Science Teacher Association they're at Manute there a couple of years ago and I just volunteered I was still a PME I just volunteered and this guy was showing off um, a surface tablet or something so I was mad into doing educational technology and I got talking and he says to me uh, oh should just follow me on Twitter there and I said oh, I don't have Twitter <laughs> he says oh, that's something you need to get on so I kind of got more and more interested then and um, then that summer between first and second year my teaching practice completely changed I got onto Twitter, I made an account, and like that over time, I started following different educators, and like I said, it's the same for me, it completely changed my outlook on teaching, um, really opened me up to debates, um, it's obviously the traditional versus progressive, and um, it just kind of exposes you to kind of different, different um, reasonings, and, and that's where it ties in <clears throat> with your philosophy of education and your psychology education history could you see people debating and arguing on twitter about education and it kind of upskills you too yeah. um it's the sort of debates i think that you might not always hear in your staff room 100%. because the staff room as well as having a rant or event or even a, an opportunity for reflection the staff room is also a place to relax and have your break whereas twitter if you're gone on to edu twitter as they call it <laughs> you're there for one reason yeah and you learn a lot you do it's a, it's a fantastic resource it really is a really good resource so you have a, a podcast yourself, uh, and one of your episodes uh, is about team teaching. I just wanted to ask you, just for the sake of the listeners for this podcast, what is your view on team teaching, and what's your experience with it? Uh, my view is it's amazing, and uh, I'll jump at the chance to do it again. I had, 
I learned so much through team teaching. Basically, in Minute, they're, they're big on team teaching. So I had an opportunity to do it with another PME student um, as part of a TY module. So we just taught a class of critical thinking skills. Um, and it was like, it was the most enjoyable probably time in the classroom I've had. Just being with it, like again, uh, she was a good friend, so the relationship was already there compared yeah. to if you were doing tea teaching with someone you've never met before. I can understand that's completely different. As, different. Um, the research is kind of mixed. I did my thesis on it as well. The research is kind of mixed whether it helps students improve. But okay. as educators, I can't, there's, there's unlimited value to it. Like you see another educator and how they operate. Um, my colleague was an English teacher. So she was much more better kind of discussions and walking around the room. Well, I mean, as a science teacher, it was very much, it was part of black and white, right or wrong. So that was really interesting just to see that. Uh, since then, I've team talked with another science teacher. Um, During the PME or since Yeah, it was, part of my, it was part of my research. Um, and that was really interesting. Um, and he learned loads from me. And it was really good to be told that. Um, to say you're doing something good and I might adapt my practice to that um, like I said I was very I was very rigid as a science teacher this is what students do they do it this at the time they clean up when I say clean up it was real like that's how I operated yeah. and to see him walk in and give so much freedom to the students to do their experiments I would never have seen that if I wasn't in the room with him but it worked for him did it? 100% and like, like I've taken that now I've kind of eased off a small bit and just said you know maybe maybe I can be more like him yeah. and learn from that I've also team taught English another time um, and again this is the confusing thing about team teaching like what is team teaching and my definition of it is anywhere from someone just sitting in the room with you or the two years up by the board anything in between because I know some people don't like team teaching I think it's kind of silly I was like, why, why are two of us down for it? And some teachers might take offence that another teacher, teacher yeah, is in the room. In the room like, well, do I need help? Whenever I said I did, or um, and sometimes the teacher you might hear them say like, ah, sure, I'll just I'll take this week and you take next week, or this kind of mm -hmm. thing. But I think if you just even if you're room correcting, you're another presence in the room. You're listening to the teacher. The students, I've never, you've never seen, if you're ever observing a class, the students find it really funny to turn around. And look at you like they're just they just know someone's behind them but again they're and the students are used to it it's not people say to me oh it's a bit weird is it two teachers in here it's not students don't care they really don't um and with the like i obviously went to school with loads when snas came into schools i imagine it was different before that there's so many adults in the room now that's it's completely normal for two no teachers one to twice about yeah 100 percent. Yeah. but the, like i said observation council team teaching that's perfectly fine to sit there and just observe, or even just flood around the room, just walking around. You can collect up the copies or make sure you get the homeworks done if you're in the same subject. And if you're not in the same subject, like the other day actually, <coughs> I was doing my Druhid, under my Druhid observations. So I went to Peter, who's a practical teacher, and I said, um, do you mind if I observe your class? He says, absolutely fine, come on in. So I went in and, you know, I did the usual thing, took out my, my notes and I sat down in the back of the room and the students were making some they were working with plastics, I think it was. So I'm sitting there and observing. And I just said to him, I said, do you mind if I make one of these things as well? I got up off his stool and I was actually the student in his room, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that was really good because I got on well when I'm, got on well when I'm now and 
he, uh, he said, yeah, I'll work away. So I went up to the students. I went up to the students and said, what do I do next? And the students were teaching me as yeah. a teacher. And they thought it was great that they could te- that they teach a teacher. Now, it wasn't my subject. But that, I consider that team teaching. It was really good. So there's, there's so many aspects to it that you can use. It's just getting the hours to do it. Yeah. Um, I'm not well up on how hours are dished out with skills. But I think like resource hours, instead of taking a student out of a class and teaching them, just put a teacher in. I think that's just the way to go. It makes so much more sense. Because that was going to be uh, my next follow-up question. How would you do it practically? It's, it sounds like, like it's relatively easily, easy enough to do during the PME, but for when teachers are timetabled with their, if their full hours is 22 hours, how practical it is. But you've just given a decent suggestion, suggestion there for how it could be implemented within the existing limitations. Yeah, because I went, so basically Manute teamed up with uh, PDST there last year and had a kind of team teaching conference about it. And I got talking to one teacher and he says, I'm a history teacher, but I do home ec, I do maths, science, and he's just a resource teacher that goes in. He's instead of taking a student out, hmm. I go in. And I don't just help that one student. He said, I'm helping every student in the class. Because the students, I mean, who fall between the cracks and don't actually get taken in for a resource, but they still need more support. And he can go around then and keep them on task, or if it's in the same subject, can even academically help them. Or even, like I said, I was the guy who didn't understand the subject there last week. So I said to the students, you teach me. You tell me where I'm going wrong. Um, and they love, like, students love that. So yeah, no, I'm a huge fan of team teaching. It was obviously tough when you're timetable at different times. Um, I've seen a thing on Twitter before, these people had um, observe me tickets. So they put on a board in the staff room that say like, willing to be observed this week. And then people just walk in. And of course, every school should have an open door policy. Yeah. And I think most teachers do. I, there's no teacher I came across who said, no, no, I don't want you in my class. Every teacher has been really welcoming. Um, I suppose they can see the benefit of it. Oh, they can. And they, they know the real reasoning behind it. It's, it's, not, it's not something sinister where they're secretly being observed. No, no, no it's, it's mutually beneficial for both teachers. And it's more beneficial for the students as well, you find. Yeah, well, like, the research suggests it doesn't improve their grades. But clearly it has to help that if you're keeping them more on task and they can see the teachers well, I suppose they're open to the students are open to newer experiences that with their teachers 100% yeah they can instead of saying they're, they're, they'll be better off for it academically they're experiencing something new well they see us in a different light I mean they see teachers as, as people do you know I mean like we're, yeah. we're having a laugh and like when I was doing the science one last ag science with another teacher I, he was contradicting me like I was, I was up teaching something and he's like I think that's wrong and like, he said that in front of the class and Exposed that maybe I actually didn't know what I was talking about. How did um, you feel then? But I, it, but it was fine. Like, again, that's a, like that was one of the best team teacher moments because I got on well with him, yeah. really well with him. You had that relationship where you could just say, "Oh, I think that's wrong." Yeah, and you didn't feel threatened by it. Not at all. Not at all. And but see, that's the again. I'm not going to say that happens to everyone. There are teachers in the staff room that you're not going to team teach with with the same enthusiasm. Maybe. Yeah, like it's not. It's not going to happen, and that's fine too. Yeah. But to suggest that you never do team teaching. Or you try that oh, even observation. Am I even going to observe? I think that's wrong. There's okay. so much ways to upskill, especially outside your subjects. My next question uh, brings me back to education research, but specifically education researchers. Um, in some education departments in some of the universities, a lot of the staff there, the lecturing staff, would have been practicing teachers prior to taking up a lecturing position, but some of them would not have ever 
taught in a secondary or primary classroom in their, in their lives. Do you think that educational researchers should be or should have been practicing teachers? That's a tough one. I think Do you th think someone needs to have experience in the classroom no. before they undertake re uh, research on education? No, I don't think so. I, it's, it's preferable if they did, but to suggest that just because you've never been in a classroom you can't contribute to educational research, I think is wrong. Um, I remember thinking during my science degree, I did agri-environmental science. But the people who were lecturing me didn't do agriculture. And at the time, I thought it was a bit funny. I was like, why are you lecturing me about agriculture when you're not even from a farm, hmm. nor do you have an ag agricultural degree? But they were teaching me a small aspect of my degree on, say, zoology. Yeah. So I'm the product of everyone else's knowledge. Does that make sense? It does make perfect so sense. So basically, that's why I think if you don't have experience in a classroom and you're contributing educational research and or educational teaching, initial teacher, initial teacher education, um, it's not that, like, obviously you would prefer that experience, but I don't think it's critical. So you don't think the classroom insight is, ne is necessary? Well, it depends, like, if someone's lecturing me about pedagogy and they're never taught, like, that's obviously different. Yeah. But in terms of... Um, sociology. Sociology or, or psychology. Yeah, these things, I can understand why they, they're allowed to have an opinion and they're allowed to tell us about it. And yeah. I, think that's, I think that's fine. Really. I suppose they're an expert in that specific field. Yeah, and especially, like I said, if they're just putting research out there, it's not that they're one of the rules all, it just contributes to the whole domain of, of, of that subject. So no, I, you'd like to see them have more, but again, that's not the case. Some people go straight on to do PhDs and start lecture. So. How do you think teachers can be better supported professionally? In what aspect do you mean professionally? In terms of... Well, there's a few aspects, aspects. there's professional development, there's uh, on-the-job support, uh, well, that's just a name too. Yeah, I think professional development, like the, well, there are loads of courses out there um, in the education centres and like for the secondary school teachers now, we have JCT days nearly two or three times a year, um, upskilling us on this new junior cycle. Is that mandatory upskilling? Um, yeah, like just the whole staff do it. Yeah. So. I suppose is mandatory, but you can do like elective days. So I've done a few classes or courses in it, um, during science teacher association days, that kind of stuff. And will you get something back for undertaking that uh, CPD in your own time? See, this is it. Like I'm a new teacher, so I'm not sure how much you can get. Like personal co pack hours, I think. Um, I think you can. I mean, again, personal days, is it? No, like you, you've some of co pack hours to do. I've been yes. told all this, but you know, I'm not well read on it. You haven't experienced it yet. Yeah, kind of like so. But you can get some of your hours if you do a course. You can get those. They can count as your course. So it's done. You do your course in lieu of undertaking these. Well, it's not. Co yeah, hours. yeah, basically, yeah. Because okay. in the, in the primary teaching sector, if we undertake a twenty hour uh, CPD course during the summer, we can take three days off during the year. As oh, I suppose, yeah. as a reward. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you do four courses, you, sorry, if you do a second course, you get four days, and a third course, you get five days total. So that's the that's the incentive, I suppose, for primary school teachers to to do CPD in their own time. But are you aware of any similar incentive for secondary school teachers? I am not, and again, I could be the wrong man to ask. I'm just new to this game in terms of what I can, I can't do in terms of my training. But again, do you like do teachers? Do you get much out of those training? Do you come away going? This is definitely the best thing I've learned. Well, or is it a tick the box exercise? Personally, I find my CPD courses to be beneficial because I choose a course based on a need that I have. Yeah. Uh, I know it is the case that some teachers may choose a course 
just for the sake of undertaking the course, completing the course and getting their three days. But uh, I suppose bringing us back to what we spoke about earlier, uh, developing as a teacher, I do a course based on what I feel I need to upskill in. So last year I did a course on English literacy. Uh, I'm by no means an expert in English uh, literacy, but there are areas that I'd like to read further on, uh, be trained further on. And the course was run by a man called Brendan Culligan, who's quite uh, well known in primary teaching circles uh, for English. And I found it very useful. Had I done a course on Irish grammar, I wouldn't have found it useful because I'd already be proficient, but I would have found it easy. Yeah. And I would have gotten the thing done and I could have done an online course and I would have had it done quickly and I would have had my days, but it wouldn't have been the same. Yeah. I wouldn't have developed as a teacher. Yeah, and that's, and that's it. It's more about finding your own one that suits you. Do you know what I mean? And that's what I like. I'm doing one now in a couple of weeks on using tablets in education. Um, because again, I have interest. I have a small interest in education technology, so I'd like to do it. But it is tough. Like if you're teaching, I just if you're teaching a, a long, a long time, and then you do another course and they tell you how to teach again, I can imagine it gets a bit second in. Like you're told, like you've been teaching so long, you're teaching this way, and you know it's going well. Like in reality, you are a good teacher, and then to change it up again, you might just get a bit disillusioned by it. Yeah. So I think sometimes, like I said, it's like reflecting again. You're forced to do something. I don't think you see the value of it. It's only when you do it as elective yourself yeah. do you really get the benefit of it. Because like, you're seeking something out. You're, you're basing it on your needs and you will see more value in it. Mm -hmm. So in terms of teaching in general, what's your priority for the next year? Next year um, is to just continue what I'm doing. I'm really happy at the moment. Um, would you like to stay in the school that you're in currently? Yeah, yeah I would. Um, it's been a really tough year, I'm not going to lie first year out like you 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 learn everything in the pme and you feel ready and you are you are ready to go out in the big bad world but it's it's a lot tougher um I've, there's a lot more to learn in the first year than you could have learned on the pme it's just things like time management i found the toughest where you suddenly went from eight classes a week to god i don't know how many classes i do now i think i'm 25 25, 26. I find that aspect really tough. But I, I think I'm managing it. Well, it was very tough at the start of the year, but as time's gone on, I'm getting better at it. So just to keep on doing that. I like to bring in more research-based practices into my in my lessons. Mm. Um, sometimes I might go a bit too far, where I'm doing too much of something great and not enough of just getting the basics done. Yeah. So my goal basically is more to be get my foundations good and then improve it on, on after that. that the bells sense. and whistles on after you have the foundation. Kind of, yeah. It's just, yeah. like I said, I just, things like, God, I can't even think now. Things like checking homework, not even checking homework. I could, like at the start, you'd be running around trying to get all these things done. Well, now I have a system in place where it's always done. And now, once I've got all the basics done, I, I try to improve it. Yeah. Um, and do kind of different projects or assignments. But at the moment, I'm just giving class tests. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I just wanted to get the basics right. But I think it's going all right. Have you a, a favourite book within the field of education that you could recommend to listeners? Um, yeah, Doug Lamov's Teach Like a Champion. Teach uh, Like a Champion. What was the name of the author again? Doug Lamov. Doug Lamov. Um, he wrote, like, Teach Like a Champion 2.0 there a couple of years ago. But um, I love podcasts, so I ended up getting a, an Audible account. Yeah. So instead of actually reading the book, I 
listen to it. I used to have a big long commute. So, um, yeah, that is, by a country mile, the best book um, I've read on education. Uh, it completely underpins why you do the history of education, the philosophy, psychology, um, sociology, all of it. He just, he has these techniques about how to improve as a teacher. Um, and like, you can find the internet, like you can download the 49 techniques or whatever they are. But he has a huge part in literacy and he kind of has his intro to the book. Just his philosophy of what education is. And I think it is his philosophy. Um, it just completely aligns with my own. Um, so he says he is opening paragraph, not opening paragraph, his opening chapter, he talks about how he would train teachers or a teacher should train students how to hand out worksheets. Right, sound, and he's like, he sounds, sounds crazy. Like, why would you bother? Like, you pay, say if I was taught this in the BME, I paid 12,000 euro to teach, to teach me how to hand out worksheets. But he would say, if I hand them out in a certain way that they're all placed along the front rows and then the students pass them all the way back, he says, that saves you two minutes. After two minutes for five worksheets a day, over the course of a year, you've saved yourself a week or whatever it is. And you mentioned time management a few minutes ago as well. 100%. So this would be really useful yeah, for you. 100%. <laughs> but he just says, like, time is the most precious resource in teaching. And I didn't really, obviously, I've heard about it, but it just kind of hammered home how precious it is. Um, so reading his book kind of made me aware of, like, how to be a better teacher, um, especially teaching like weaker students and especially having high expectations those kind of things that I didn't really think of I just they were just a key word in my lesson plan like differentiation tick and that's all that's all they were but he kind of hammered home that like, we should hold kids to really high expectations so what do high expectations look like so he has like different techniques like one's called um, cold call he's like you just call the student that you say your question and then you say a random student's name and by doing that, every student is thinking of the answer. Like that ties into your like psychology. So he says, even though you're asking one student, you would then ha you actually have 24 answers by the students. Because where do you get that? If you say like, John, what's the answer to X? When he, the minute you say John, the rest of them have zoned out. Yeah. And I just thought that was fascinating. And of course, like. It's obvious. It's so obvious. I mean, it's all basic. I've never talked about that. But you know what? Like it seems really, really obvious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> real silly and stuff. Mm. And then he has other things like um, no opt out. So I say, John, what's the answer to X? John would say, I don't know. And then you you're like that's that's fine. You go, and what we normally do is go, all right, Grant, Mary, what's the answer to X? And she says Y, and we say, Grant, well done. And that's how we do it. But he would say, you should go back to John then. Right, John, what's the answer to X? Or what did Mary say? Yeah, exactly. Or say it in your own words. 100%. And this is like, he just realised there's nowhere to go. They have to take part in the learning. They can't just switch off and stop listening. 100%, and if, and yeah. if they expect you, or if they're used to you coming back to them, they're far less likely to switch off, I suppose. Exactly. And he, suppose then, they don't want to be caught in the hop. And that's it. And it's so hard as a teacher to make sure that all your learners in front of you are engaged in the learning. Yeah. Like they look like they are but are they actually and I just thought his book was was really good like it's 49 techniques there's no opt out everyone writes and I, I try to use them more and more now so I, when I started then my school I said right this is how my class works you're going to line up you're going to do the starting activity you're going to do the hook and then at the end of every class you're going to write a reflection not like just what you learned today but 
like tell me why you learned this aspect and what was interesting about this and that routines and habitual nature he kind of exposed me to I was like that definitely works in my classes so yeah it was one of the best books no I ever listened to I didn't read it obviously but it was on Audible same thing you same were thing. exposed to the knowledge of the book but it also there's books like um, David Dyer's book uh, what was his first book called What If Everything You Do Education Was Wrong yeah. I read that during the summer and I actually read these over the summer before I even became teacher I didn't even <laughs> read them during my PME his book was really good as well I thought his book was a bit eye-opening. I'm in the middle of that at the moment. Yeah. It's fantastic. It started fantastically. Yeah, it's, it just makes you like that question, everything yeah. that, you, that you think of. You're asked questions that you've never been asked before about yourself and your practice. I would just go back to the book you mentioned there. Uh, what was the name of it again? Teach Like a Champion. Would you go as far as saying that that should be required reading for yes. every teacher education course? Yeah, 100%. Okay, so uh, if you're listening all the colleges, <laughs> put it on your reading list. Uh, no, and they do. Like, I've actually, a PME came up to me the other day, I was telling her about the book. I was telling her uh, about no opt-out or something. And she says, oh, our lecturer mentioned your, your book the other day. And I was like, it wasn't my book. But yeah, I just, but this is the thing. I had a debate with a guy on Twitter about these kind of things. Should I read this in first year? Or should, when do I read these things? Because just like David Darden's book, what if everything you knew about education was wrong? You're going to have to have a bit of education knowledge for it to be challenged. As you're because the questions that he asks you are based on you having done something in education a particular way. So yep. you, you need to be able to analyse what you've done before you answer David Darden's questions. Yeah, and that's, and that's why I think things like, the, like these readings you, we kind of promote for, that were promoted to me, they kind of went over my head. Like, I don't... I was reading these things, I was like, what's the big deal? But I didn't understand because I wasn't a teacher, I wasn't in it long enough to understand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it should be required reading, but not not so soon. Because I think sometimes I remember being these books were thrown at me. And I tried reading them, and one was like, high expectations, and having them being authoritative, but not authoritarian. And you're yeah. like, what the hell, what does that even mean? Like, You're just confused, and you just throw yeah. it away then. You have to have some sort of knowledge base first. Darren, what's the best thing about being a teacher? Ooh, eh, I love the the freedom, the freedom how to teach. I can, I like teaching my way. Not that it's like the best way, but that kind of aspect of my job where it's not going in and doing the same thing as everyone else. If I want to go off a tangent, small tangent now, and, and teach in a, in a subject or a chapter this way, I can. And I, that's, I like that kind of freedom of it. Um, obviously working with with young people um, is fantastic. You, you just never get bored of those kind of light bulb moments in students where they suddenly realised that they were right and they, they, were, they answered a really good question. and like They're just little wins they get every day. Um, but I, I do love the freedom of, of being a teacher and what we can do and how we approach it and the kind of difference we can make to kind of students' lives is huge. Like we, and you just think back to the time when you had an amazing teacher and we've all had those teachers and you kind of wish that you were even if you were half of that person you'd make a great teacher so that's that's what I love about it now to me like I said I had no calling to be a teacher it was just the next thing I was going to do in my life but but that's what I see it as now a chance for me to just every day is different I can do what I want teach how I like to teach um cover content in different ways and students can learn from it and, and just to see the students kind of grow and it's just yeah that's what I kind of find about teaching that's where we'll leave it for this episode 
Thank you to Dara Lambert for agreeing to feature on the podcast. Dara blogs at lamberteducation.weebly.com and you can also find a link to his podcast through that website. You can subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn and directly through the Podbean website. You'll find my blog at matterseducational.ie where I share my thoughts on education-related topics. You can follow Matters Educational on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to feature on the podcast, get in contact with me through social media or by emailing me at mattereducationalireland at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.